the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. What is the word to stand on? Welcome to the Friday show. We've made it through another week. Seems like this week has lasted forever, but we are here. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer Bible questions, questions about life, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, um, specific Bible questions, anything and everything on your heart, I'll do the best that I can. And all you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now uh, button at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer, and you can use the hands-free feature on your phone. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Uh, let me first say, Ruben, we've been praying for you. I hope you're able to listen now. Uh, if you are... Um, Still in the hospital, at least I uh, hope you have access to a computer or to a radio. Uh, we have been praying for you and uh, asking the Lord to touch and make things better. Uh, we will continue to pray. Uh, I also want to share with you, we, we had uh, uh, one of my favorite, this is going to sound strange to you, but one of my favorite funerals of all time, last night and this morning, uh, with Kuka Perez, who uh, we asked you for prayer about, and uh, she went to be with Jesus last Sunday, uh, about midday, about noon, and uh, it, it was it was an unbelievable thing to behold. First of all, it was a huge, huge venue, and both last night and today it was packed. Now there were some of the same people today that were there last night, but the idea is it just there was so many people, and the people that shared their hearts, family members and friends. This was a woman who prayed every day. For every, she's 92. Imagine the number of kids and grandchildren, great grandchildren that she had. But they would all say, she would always have a verse for me. She would always let me know, I'm praying for you, Miho. And just the the power of prayer. And then the, the way they witnessed to her faithfulness with faithfulness of their own as they shared their heart and shared their love for Jesus Christ. Um, because Grandma gave birth to that faith, uh, it was it was an inspiring thing. Uh, I told the church today, the the people that were there, that I have a prayer wall uh, on my a wall in my office. I mean, it's an entire room really that's that's taken up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures. I'm a visual guy, and and uh, if I'm looking at people's pictures, I don't forget them. And uh, and I pray for them as the Lord leads. I pray for some every single day. I pray for others uh, on a semi-daily basis. But the whole idea is that I can pray for them. And, and on those walls are my kids and my grandkids 
And I just thought, Lord, I want that legacy for my children, my grandchildren, the people that, that are represented on this wall. And uh, I purposed in my heart that I was going to pray um, with even more fervor and more faith because uh, the, the fruit was unbelievable. The fruit was unbelievable. It was really an honor to be allowed to officiate at this funeral. And uh, Kuka at 92, I was able to tell him I've been her pastor for 22 years. And then I thought, well, I met her when she was 70. And and the fruit that's come from her life in those 22 years, sometimes we think as we get older, you know, we can't really be used by the Lord. Um, just the opposite is true. Uh, up until a couple of years ago, Kuka was still very active in walking and and I mean, at four o'clock in the morning walking and all of the grandkids would talk about, uh, we knew she was up walking at four. We knew if there was something wrong, we could call her because she'd be awake praying and, and she would go out walking. Well, when she was unable to walk that much and, and eventually got to the point where she couldn't walk outside on her own at all, um, she just spent that time, extra time praying, reading the word of God praying, speaking to him, uh, listening to Bible studies, mine, and and I just think what great, great fruit was produced from one faithful woman. So if you're out there in this audience and you're a senior, I'm a senior, uh, if you're out there in this audience, I pray that I'm two years away from being 70. I pray that if the Lord allows me to stay, Jesus doesn't come. I pray that I'll produce half as much fruit as Kuka produced in her last 22 years of life. So great, great day. It was a real, real blessing to be there. 340-9585. Let's get to some questions. And if any of you have any um, questions, let's close the week with some phone calls. Our first question is, from Isaac, and he says, uh, is there one, two, or three comings of Jesus? Um, Isaac, I think I understand what you're talking about. The rapture of the church is not a second coming of Jesus. There are two comings of Jesus. One of them, of course, has already been accomplished. It's really an important thing to remember. Jesus invaded time and space. He became a human being, a little baby. He lived for a little more than 33 years. He suffered, he died, and he rose from the dead. That was his first coming. Imagine God invading time and space. Philippians chapter 2 is a New Testament construct of that principle. His second coming, you can read about that in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus makes references to it in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. And that's when he comes back in glory to reclaim that which is his. When he comes back, he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to destroy his enemies. And he's going to restore this world for a thousand years into as close to perfect as it can possibly be. It, it can't, can't be perfect. That's why in the, in, eventually there'll be a need for a new heaven and a new earth. But but Jesus will rule and reign with perfect justice. So those are his two comings. Now, I think what you're referencing, Isaac, the third coming, is the, you're talking about the rapture of the church. Jesus doesn't come to earth for that. He says that those, Paul writing, those of us who are still alive and left to the coming of the Lord will be caught up to meet him in the air. So he doesn't come a third time or a second time to be followed by a third time. He calls us up, and he meets us in the air. And uh, that's when we will then go to be with Jesus for the period of the Great Tribulation, seven years here on earth. Uh, it's the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's when our our wedding, our marriages are consecrated. And what a wonderful, wonderful time that will be. But then we come back with him, Isaac, for the final return to earth. And we will be with the Lord forever. So there's two comings, one already accomplished, one to come, and then that third reference, uh, which could happen at any moment, Jesus coming for us by calling us up to be with him. 
Thank you, Isaac. I appreciate it. Here's a hard question. It's from Henry. He says, Pastor Ron, to what extent does correct doctrine determine whether one is really saved or not? Henry, that's a question that for me is impossible to answer. And I struggle with it a lot as a Bible teacher. Uh, I struggle with it a lot. Now, here's what we have to have. We have to have the right Jesus. We have to have Jesus of Nazareth, the, the, the Son of God, but, but who is also God the Son. We can't strip Jesus of his deity and expect that our sins can be forgiven. If God didn't sacrifice himself for our sins, then it demonstrates that God doesn't really love us. So that, of course, is an essential. Um, the virgin birth, uh, Jesus had to be born without a sin nature. The virgin birth is essential Christian doctrine. The fact that we are saved by grace through faith, and the faith not of ourselves, it's a gift of, of God. That we did nothing to deserve it, we can do nothing to earn salvation, but it was a free gift given by God is an essential Christian doctrine. And there are others, but I think you get the idea. Now, here's the, the, the problem. You know, um, when somebody, say, leaves what we would call basic Christianity and embraces um, Catholicism or uh, Orthodox faith, um, when they deny that you have to be born again. To me, Jesus said you have to be born again. That's something you have to believe um, for somebody to be um, a, an Eastern Orthodox or Greek or Russian Orthodox believer uh, and deny the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. In other words, he took his our place. He took the punishment, the justice, the wrath of God for our sins. I personally believe that that is also an essential. And yet, Henry, and this is where it gets really sticky. I've met Orthodox believers who I'm convinced are really believers. We have a tendency to be curious. We have a tendency to look for new things. We always want an additional goose bump, or we want something that will make us feel closer. So we chase those things. And, and, and I think that we're going to find that God has a remnant everywhere. But without a remnant, God would be... Well, imagine how tragic that would be for him. So yeah, there are believers whose doctrine is bad. To what extent, I, I don't know. I know you can believe different things about subjects like speaking in tongues or or Reformed theology versus non-Reformed theology. Uh, you can be a dispensationalist, or you can be a literist. There's going to be a lot of people whose doctrine wasn't perfect in heaven. But the one thing that is clear is that you have to have the right Jesus, and to deny the essentials that make him the right Jesus, his death, his miraculous resurrection, those are essentials for salvation. So I think, Henry, we're going to have a lot of questions answered when we get to heaven, and I think we're going to be surprised with a lot of people that we see there, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who are surprised to see us there. But but remember, study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the Word of God. And then maybe we don't worry so much about what other people believe, and instead, through our diligent study, we just find out what's true. And then we can be sure that we're really saved, and we'll leave the rest of the people to the Lord. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions as we close the week. Here's a question from Pedro. Um, John 6 says, no one can come, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. My question is, who is doing the drawing here, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Um, Pedro, this is another thing that we, we really can't um, grasp, I think, effectively. Um, who's doing the drawing, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Uh, they all are. We've been chosen by God, um, the Father. Uh, we've been chosen based on his foreknowledge. He knows who's going to choose him back. Um, we know we've been chosen by Jesus. Jesus, uh, his death makes us a part of the family. But Jesus said specifically 
Pedro, that it's the Holy Spirit who draws people to him. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And and when we are convinced, convicted of sin, we have to have an answer. When we're convicted of righteousness, the the, the, the knowledge that, that we're separated from God because he's righteous and we're not, and of judgment, there will be an eternal price to pay for those who do not believe. Um, well, that's the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us and draws us to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to believe. And, and the truth is, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. But the person of the Holy Spirit is the active agent in drawing someone to God, convicting us of sin, but also drawing us to God, the answer for our sin. And it's really important. John chapter 6, Pedro, uh, is, the, uh, is the proof text for that answer. Here is a question from Mark. Pastor Ron, in Isaiah 53, is healing guaranteed if we have enough, enough faith? Uh, Mark, I'm, I'm actually on Wednesday nights. I'm in uh, the, the book of Isaiah. We, we're, I think, going to be in chapter 45 and 46 next Wednesday. So I'm not too far away from those wonderful suffering servant passages um, that you speak of. It's sort of crescendos in Isaiah 53. But Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed, is the verse that you're talking about. And that has nothing to do with physical healing at all. Now, false teachers misrepresent it. Um, We're so eager to believe it because we want to believe that God loves us. He wouldn't want us to be sick. So all I have to do is have enough faith and God's going to heal me. The problem is we don't get healed. And Isaiah 53 uh, is, is a means of atonement, a means of healing us of the one uncurable illness, and that's sin. But that's all that it's making reference to. It has nothing whatsoever, Mark, to do with physical healing. And we need to understand that because, as I said a moment ago, there are just too many willing to falsely represent the promises of God. Now, let me tell you why this is such a uh, an important question from my perspective. Mark, I've been pastoring this church for 24 and a half years, and... I have watched people come into our church devastated by this false teaching. By his stripes we're healed if you just believe it enough. Well, I didn't get healed. You must not have enough faith. And I've seen people crushed. I've seen people feel like God has rejected them, that he doesn't love them. Yeah, for others he loves them. For others he'll heal. But not for me. I must be defective in some way. And I've watched people come in here with their lives torn into spiritual shreds because of this false teaching. By his stripes we are healed, and the disease we're healed of is sin. This is not a promise of physical healing. Let me say one more time, physical healing is not a part of the atonement. Now, there are gifts of healing. We know that God does heal sometimes. But that's just gifts that God gives out to the church that he loves to accomplish the work that the church has been called to do. But it has nothing to do with the atonement. And I've heard people say, well, I believe that it's provided for in the atonement. The atonement has nothing to do with my physical healing or yours. But what I know is that when I met Jesus because of the atonement, I was going to live forever somewhere because sin had been taken care of. So Mark, be careful if you're listening to Bible teachers who are trying to convince you that healing is guaranteed if you only have enough faith. Uh, Look around their church one day. Just be logical and look at all the people who aren't healed. It is a damnable lie. So be really, really careful. 340-9585 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from D. Uh, she asks, when we sin, how do we restore our relationship with God? 
Well, D, 1 John 1, 9 is the answer to the question. If we confess our sins. Now, confession means more than just saying, well, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Confession means agreeing with God that what I did was sin. I did it, Lord. I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. I knew it was wrong. Please forgive me. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we do that, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's all we have to do. We don't have to feel really guilty. We don't have to cry big tears. We don't have to wait until just enough time has passed that we're not bothered by it anymore. All we have to do is ask him to forgive us. I'm so sorry, Lord. And then by faith, believe the promises that he's made to us. You know, D, one of the great things, now I, I was in the world a long time. I was almost 40 years old when I got saved. And, you know, there's sort of a, you get what you deserve kind of karma thing when you're not saved. And um, I love the fact that God, when I mess up and I'm sorry for it and I ask for forgiveness, I love that he doesn't put me on probation. I love it that he doesn't scold me and say, well, you know, you, you, you did this or you did that. I can't believe you did it after everything I've done. He doesn't do any of that. When we mess up, and we say we're sorry. Please forgive us. He opens his arms. Now, this isn't a license to sin. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? God forbid in the King James. And literally, God forbids that. But what it means is that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus ever lives, Hebrews 7 says, to make intercession for us. And when we're forgiven, all we have to do is, with a grateful heart, say thank you, and then start walking with Jesus. So, indeed, that's the only thing we have to do to restore relationship with God. He does the rest. He does the rest. Such a great deal that we who are believers have. And yet some people, as I said a moment ago, will take this as a license to sin. And if we do that, we really don't know the Lord at all. We really don't know the Lord at all. Here is a question from Joan or Joanne. It has uh, two N's, but no E on it. So I'm sorry I didn't, don't know what it is. Uh, She says, I wish God would take away my free will so I could obey him. Why won't he do that? Well, you see, Joan or Joanne, God can never take away your free will. And by not obeying him, and don't get upset by this, understand it, you are exercising your free will to be disobedient. And for you to say, God, just take it away from me, would turn you into nothing more than a puppet. And that wouldn't be a demonstration of God's love for you. He loves you so much that he gives you the free will to make choices. And when you make the wrong choice, his heart breaks and the Holy Spirit convicts you. You can tell that that's already taken place by this question that you asked. But God says, I've given you everything you need to resist sin I've given you everything you need to obey me. God gives the Holy Spirit, Acts 5.32 says, to those who obey. All you have to do, Joanne, is decide that you're going to obey him. It's a choice you have to make. It's a choice you have to make every day. Too many of us, we wait for some lightning bolt from heaven to take away our temptation or take away our, our choices to be disobedient. Instead of simply saying, Jesus, you know what? Today I'm going to walk with you. And Joanne, here's the the real issue, I think, behind this question. When you are exercising your free will to be disobedient, you've walked away from Jesus. I don't mean you've lost your salvation, but you've left the relationship. It's sort of like somebody who's in a marriage and They get really mad and they kick their husband or kick their wife out for a time. The relationship is effectively over. When you are disobeying God, the relationship is effectively over and you're on your own. 
And none of us can do very well on our own. That's really important, Joanne. When we do the best that we can on our own, we're always going to fail. That's why every morning I say, Lord, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit and your name and for your glory. And then what I do, Joanne, is I say, I can't even do that on my own, Lord. And I offer my hand and ask him to take it. I take his hand by faith. I do the same thing uh, with my left hand, taking Paula's hand, because we're one flesh. You see, I realize, even after 24 plus years of being a pastor, I realize that if I'm not with Jesus, I'm going to do things I shouldn't do. So I try to run into the presence of my Jesus as soon as I possibly can. Every single day I go through this. What we need to do is decide that we're going to obey him. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program for the week. Phones have been quiet. I would love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Let's close with a flash bang. Uh, my producer just told me that today, in 1991, the World Wide Web was born. I got saved in 1991. The World Wide Web came about in 1991. It's been trying to unsave people ever since. Uh, imagine, if we, everybody that's been born from 1991 on has never lived a day of their life without Control-Alt-Delete being a part of their life. Think about that. I remember when we got our first um, computer. Um, we were so poor. We were just brand new in ministry here. And uh, I was doing my Bible studies longhand. I could see a little bit better back then. And I was doing my Bible studies longhand. We came home one day and outside our apartment, the, the FedEx people had dropped off a big box and somebody sent us a computer from California. We didn't expect it. We didn't know how to do anything with it. And I remember struggling to try to figure out what is the World Wide Web and how are we going to use all of these things? But uh, after all of these years... I am really, really grateful that uh, that uh, God has allowed these kind of things in our lives. Just use them for His glory. Let's go to the phones. We have Ray calling on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, this is kind of perplexing for me to ask, but uh, when when we or I could say when I continually fail and feel like, uh, get very discouraged, uh, is there a verse or a, a chapter or how, how could I work around this to, benefit, you know, uh, it, what would behoove me to do in, in that situation? Because mm -hmm. the depression, you know, disgust, it's just, I think you know what I'm talking about, and I'll do. just listen on the air. Okay, before you hang up, Ray, let me ask, yes. how are you doing with your recovery from surgery? I'm, I'm, I'm quite a bit better and, and looking forward to getting the other one done. And uh, uh, then I ought to be a little better. I think it's messed up my equilibrium a little bit, but <laughs> n nevertheless, <laughs> I, I was shocked at the one thing that the uh, uh, doctor had said after my checkup again, you know, my follow-up deal was, uh, well, because you have this little paddle thing, you cover one eye and then cover the other eye. And he goes, 
Well, look out of that. And, and uh, this was the one he had put, worked on. And uh, said, that, see that wall? That's white, right? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he says, okay, do the other eye. It's yellow, isn't it? And I said, yes. <laughs> and I was shocked. I had no idea. But, okay, I'll, I'll let you go through with the... Okay, Ray, thank you very much for calling you. Get, get better. Out on this. I'll do my best. Thank you. Get better. Uh, um, for all of you in the audience, too, um, Ray had cataracts uh, surgery, and he's going to have the other eye, as he just explained. Uh, Dr. Peter uh, also had, uh, had cornea surgery um, Monday. Uh, of the second eye he's done it, Dr. Peter is uh, as close to blind as I am. And he's seeing really, really well now. So um, keep Dr. Peter and his recovery uh, in your prayers as well. We need to be back to work on Monday. Um, Ray, a couple of things. Um, I think too often, and I'm going to sound like a a one-string guitar here, but I think too often we, we take this matter of obedience like it's up to us. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do it for you, Lord. Uh, And we can't do it. We have to let him do it for us and be obedient through us. And the only way we can do that, Ray, is to be with Jesus. You know, we, we come to a point of temptation. We give in. We lose our temper. We treat people unkindly. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. In other words, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, others have gone through it. And then the next words are so important. It says, and God is faithful. Four words. Nowhere in there to say Ray's faithful or Ray has to be faithful. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted or tested, He will always provide a way out so that you can prevail over the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 And this is where faith comes in, Ray. If you read that verse, you have to make a decision. And this would be a good one for you too, Joanne, from from the last call of the last half hour. You have to decide, do you believe that verse is true? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is faithful? If the answer to that question is yes, then why aren't we with him so that he can deliver us? Why do we do what we want instead of asking God what he wants us to do? I talked about this on the program yesterday in another context, but too often we Christians act like we have a choice in the matter, and I think the key to our walk, the key to being with Jesus, is understanding that we don't have a choice. He is the Lord the King of Kings. When he says we have to do something, then it's our responsibility to do it. And then when we give in, when we're disobedient, then the depression comes, as you pointed out, Ray, the depression comes and we start feeling really bad about ourselves. And then the devil has a stranglehold on our heart. And then we get worse from there. Because remember, the enemy's sole purpose is to break your fellowship with God. Because he knows when you lose fellowship with God, he's going to destroy. So it's not a matter of, I'm going to read a verse. It's, I'm going to be with Jesus. And whenever you're talking to somebody, whenever you're, again, whatever the specific failures you're talking about might be, You've got to come to the conclusion, well, if I'm with Jesus, I won't do that. If you treat somebody unkindly, that's just a good example, Ray. You'd never do that if Jesus were a guest in your home. So make him a permanent guest. People don't understand it's really that simple. All we have to do is be with him. It's when we push him away We do that through disobedience. We do that through benign neglect. We do that through spiritual laziness. We do it 
just through hard-heartedness. Whenever we push him away, then we're dooming ourselves to greater failure. We had an emergency call last night, Paul and I did. And it's the same thing. I keep messing up. Well, stop it. Be with Jesus. And it's just that easy. It's just that easy. Thank you, Ray, for the call. I appreciate it. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from our mobile app from Caleb. Pastor Ron, are there any gifts of the Spirit that are not in the Bible? Um, Caleb, personally, and there's there's no way to, to have a definitive answer, uh, I believe there are. I, I don't think any of the lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the Bible are intended to be exhaustive. It's not like, okay, well, I have this gift, so I'm going to, I find it in the Bible or it does, it's not real. Uh, I've just seen too many people walking in gifts that are obviously from the Spirit, and I can't find that one category in Scriptures. Uh, but but I think if you go through Ephesians, the gifts to the church, if you go through Romans, uh, the gifts to believers, if you go through uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, speaking about the gifts and their operation in the body, uh, I think that's a really good, though not exhaustive list that pretty much covers the whole range of gifts. But but I think without specificity um, um, to including every single gift. So I think there are, you know, I can point to uh, the gift of encouragement and find that in the Bible. Um, I, I can point to discernment. I can point to teaching. Uh, but but I've seen a lot of gifts that don't fall under any category and and have, have seen with my own eyes that those are gifts that can only be given by God. Um, I think sometimes we confuse fruit of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but, uh, um, Caleb, I think there are gifts that God gives that aren't specifically listed in Scripture. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a question from Benjamin. The Bible says we're to honor our leaders, but how can I do that with Trump as our leader? Get right to it, Benjamin. Um... In Romans 13, in Peter's epistles, when we talk about honoring the king, I want you to understand the king who was in charge at the time those letters were written was a demon-possessed, maniacal leader named Caesar Nero. Of He fiddled while Rome burnt fame one of the cruelest men who's ever walked on this earth. And both Peter and Paul, it would be okay if only one of them said it, but Peter and Paul both say, honor the king. Submit to your leaders because leadership, government is from God. Government is used to establish order. So here's how you honor our president. Benjamin, you honor him by praying for him, praying that he would be saved, that he would get saved, pray that he would be a better and more godly representative. The only way he's going to be godly rep is is to be saved, but, but pray that he'd be a better representative of, of God in this world. Pray that God would give him wisdom and knowledge. Pray that God would overwhelm those traits that you don't like. But you see, the Bible didn't say honor our leaders except for Trump. It's really important that we understand this. This is our elected, duly elected president. And it is our job to honor him, to follow the rules. Now, if he tells you to do something that's not biblical, then that's one thing. But remember... There's no loopholes in God's Word. You know, I've often wondered, Benjamin, how people could say things. You know, there's a place in Philippians where Paul says, you know, whether they 
preach for Christ out of good motives or bad motives. I don't care. I rejoice at Christ's preach. You know, I care what people's motives are. And, and I wonder, how do you do that? Well, you do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's something that's going to shock you, Benjamin. But Jesus loves Donald Trump just as much as he loves you. If you can accept that, it should be easy to honor him. By the way, just for every Christian, doesn't matter which side of the political divide in this country you're on, as believers, it's our responsibility to never say anything unkind about our leaders. And a lot of Christians were horrible about this when Barack Obama was our president. We disagreed with him so vehemently, the, the immorality of, of his presidency, more than any other presidency in the history of our world, our, our country. But that still doesn't give us the right to dishonor him. It doesn't give us the right to speak ill of him. And Benjamin, I think too many Christians today are spending more time with either Fox News or CNN or NBC than they are in their Bibles. And when we're speaking ill of our leader, then our fellowship with God is broken. We're on our own. We're, we're, we're absent the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've already explained in other questions today that we don't do very well when we're absent the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope that makes sense to you, Benjamin. Pray for your president. See, he's not my president. Yeah, he is. You live here. That's your president. Here's a really interesting question from Reed. And it's really more of a statement. He says, Muslims honor Jesus and Jews reject him. Why aren't Christians more friendly to Muslims than Jews? Uh, Reed, Muslims don't honor Jesus. They devalue him. They strip away his deity. Um, they say, well, he's a prophet. No, if, if he said he was God and you demote him to just the prophet. And by the way, Muslims who say they honor Jesus as a prophet don't listen to the prophet. Um, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not friendly to him at all. Um, Jews rejected him when he came the first time. They've been rejecting him ever since. Um, we have to remember that we honor Israel, not individual Jews, because Israel is God's land. And Israel is a nation chosen by God, reestablished in their homeland by God in 1948 a nation that has won two miraculous, nearly impossible wars for land and the world of Islam wants them wiped off the face of the map. That's not honoring God. Jesus said, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And Muslims are cursing them, Read. Here's once again, we're listening to our Western media. The devil hates Israel. The media hates Israel. God loves them, and so do we. Doesn't mean we have to honor individual Jews. It's, just, it's not like they're going to heaven just because they're Jews. Remember, we're talking about Israel, Zionism. We're talking about Israel as a nation. The word means governed by God. That Israel is coming back. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Paul. Um, he says, Pastor Ron, what is your opinion on Christian accountability groups like men having other men as an accountability partner? Um, Paul, honestly, I'm not a big fan at all. Uh, I, I think there needs to be people in your lives who you can look at and see their walk with Jesus, 
and they can look at you and say, follow me as I follow Christ. If the fruit from their life is obvious, then you want to hang around with them. You want to follow them. And you need people in your life that you can go to and confess, confess your faults one to another. So I think those are important things. But in terms of having an accountability partner or a discipleship partner, ooh, the other things that it's called, here's the truth, Paul. If you're not going to be accountable to God who died for your sins, you're not going to be accountable to a man. And usually what ends up happening is we end up losing friends. I've had a couple of people over the years that I said yes to, unfortunately. They asked me if I'd help hold them accountable. And it wasn't too long before I noticed they were avoiding me. And I go talk to him, man, how are you doing? You, you know, we're friends, and yet you're avoiding me. I can, no, I'm not avoiding you. I'm just, no, you're avoiding me. And it always turns out they've fallen back into sin, and they just drift away because they don't want to be faced with their sin every day. So I'm not a big fan. Again, if we can't be accountable to the one who died in our place, what makes us think that we would be accountable to another human being? You know, the whole idea of accountability or mentorship, discipleship. Sadly, in the church is so secular in origins. What we got to learn to do is walk with the Holy Spirit to trust Him. I promise you, every time you sin, the Holy Spirit lets you know it. And if we would be, read more inclined to stop sinning because we fear what a man might say when our sin is exposed and fear what God already knows to be true, then our personal relationship with the Lord is on very, very shaky foundation. I know what I'm saying is contrary to what much of the church teaches, I just haven't seen it work out. I've known men who were in serious sin who had accountability partners and they didn't help. Eventually it was the Holy Spirit that convicted them and either brought them back or chased them farther away. So not a big fan, Paul. So uh, I think I said read earlier. Uh, that was the earlier question. Not a big fan, Paul. I hope that helps a little bit. We've got, uh, we're inside of five minutes now for the program. Rob wants to know, what is hyper-grace? Hyper-grace, you know, Paul, I'm sorry, Rob. Uh, I'm one behind. I can tell it's at the end of the week. Um, I tell you all the time on this program that balance is the key. And when you find anything hyper, you're out of balance. Hyper-grace is a teaching that God's grace covers everything. And when we know effectively that's true, God's grace covers my sin. But hyper-grace is, no, it really doesn't matter how I'm living now. If I sin, God will forgive, so I might as well go ahead and sin. And they depend on hyper-grace. I don't have to be a good husband. I don't have to be a good wife. I don't have to, 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 to watch what I say or watch the way I live. Because God's grace, I can't sin God's grace, they say. So hyper-grace is the opposite end of hyper-legalism. And the balance is right in the middle. I don't want to sin because I love Jesus. I don't say no to sin because I'm afraid he's going to judge me with the law. I'm going to burn in hell. And I don't refuse to sin Because I'm afraid. But in the same way, I don't view sin as, hey, God's got this, it's okay. That's hyper grace. And Rob, I'm telling you now, it's a, a teaching that has in the last two years, the last two years, has spread like wildfire via the internet 
you know, we're always looking for somebody who says something that makes us feel good about what we're doing. And hyper grace got you covered. And it is a ungodly, unbiblical teaching. And just be careful of it. This will be the last question of the week. It's an anonymous question. I was hoping I'd get to this one today. I have three minutes. Um, Pastor Ron, why does it seem that so many preachers are overweight and don't consider it a sin like homosexuality? Are they picking and choosing? Um, two things, Anonymous. One, um, um, there's a lot of reasons for being overweight. Um, the, the, the pastor that is grossly overweight because he eats too much, because he's lazy, doesn't exercise. I don't know how that pastor ever stands before his church and talks about the gifts of the Spirit, one of them, or the fruits of the Spirit, one of them being self-control. I don't know how anybody takes him seriously. I tell our staff here that if you want people to listen to you, then your life has to be um, consistent with what you teach. Are they picking and choosing? Yeah, but but let's be honest. There aren't any overweight preachers who are pounding a pulpit every Sunday saying, uh, I want you to accept my obesity. I want you to go out and be obese yourself. And that's not true of homosexuality. They're demanding that we accept it. So, no, we're, we're not picking and choosing. Uh, we're humans. We're weak. Sexual sin is different than other sin. I'm going to keep this on the board, Anonymous, and come back to it on Monday. I think there's a lot more if I had the time to do it. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week. Thank you for your prayers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back next Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.